We've been talking about thriving. We've been uh, in a short series on thriving, and uh, we use the scripture of Psalm 1 in the image of a tree. And in Psalm 1, uh, it says, you know, those who meditate on the word of, of God are like a tree planted by uh, uh, living water, right? And so this idea of a tree being planted, in the, in the original language, it wasn't just like a stream of, of kind of a wild water, but... Um, but being planted by, in, in, in the sense of like a garden, or think of like irrigation. So it was like a conscious, like, uh, flow of water, and, and, and a purposeful uh, nourishment of, of water, right? And so this image of <clears throat> our church uh, as this tree being, as we, as we center ourselves on the Word of God, as we center ourselves uh, on the Lord, uh, seeing uh, us as a, as a church flourish, right? And what that looks like. And we talked about three, um, three main uh, kind of components of that, uh, of, of what helps us thrive. We talked about team, and Wendy shared uh, uh, about team. And I got nervous because she started doing, uh, she, she kind of shared the story of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. And if you've been in church long enough, at some point, someone gets the idea that, hey, we should take Jesus literally and wash each other's feet, right? And uh, if you know anything about me, uh, I want you all, as, as my brothers and sisters, to know that I absolutely hate feet. Like, my brother growing up, he would, you know, he was he, my older brother, um, he was mostly bigger than me till, uh, till about 16, and then, I was, then I'd been bigger than him. But um, when we would wrestle and fight, you know, as kids, he would always just, like, pin me down, and then, I don't know how he'd do it, but he'd get his feet up into my face and just, like, stick his toes into my, and it was just, like, the worst, and I hated it. I was just, so it traumatized me deeply in my, in my heart and in my soul, uh, and so I just, I hate feet, and so the, the, the idea of, like, washing other people's feet is always, like, but but I submit myself and I humble myself to do it every time that they require me to do it or um, someone is like, let's have a foot washing service. I'm like, let's not. But uh, we talked about team and this kind of idea of sharing uh, our... Um, our gifts and using them uh, to serve and care for one another, and the importance of of, of team in our in our church. We talked about um, Larry talked about resources, uh, the sharing of our resources and giving, uh, and and giving to take care of one another. And and uh, today I want to talk about leadership and um and and biblical leadership, but also then our church leadership and what our church leadership has looked like and, and how we are uh, hoping to model Christ um, and um, and uh, Christ's uh, character and and Christ's leadership really uh, because Jesus had a very distinct way of talking about power and talking about leadership. And, and it's important for us to talk about this because uh, we live in a day and age where power and authority are often corrupted. Uh, and we've all been in experiences where um, it's been, uh, we've been on the, on, the, on the short end of that stick or, the, or, or kind of in a negative space towards power. And, um, and, and, but we're also all looking for power. We all want power on some level. Uh, and we all are... are um, longing for for some way of, of exerting some some degree of power, and so uh, there's this. So I want to look at Jesus. I want us to always just kind of point back to who we're following, because if we're following, if we're Christians, uh, we are followers of Jesus Christ, and not just in word, 
but indeed in how we live our lives, that we could reorient ourselves back to uh, to uh, what Jesus does and how Jesus lives, right? So uh, I want us to take a look at some of, of how Jesus, what Jesus talked about on leadership and what Jesus talks about, about power and authority. And so in Mark chapter 10, there's this moment where uh, Jesus and his disciples, they were, they were traveling, often walking great distances. And in this one instance, uh, Jesus and his disciples are heading back to Jerusalem. And this is, it is kind of setting up for uh, the climax of, of what's going to happen in Jesus' earthly ministry. Uh, and so they're heading back to Jerusalem. The disciples know that this is a bad idea and that this is going to end wrong and, 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 and badly for Jesus. Jesus himself, right before this, this, this portion of scripture, he tells his disciples that the Son of Man is going to be, which was Jesus' favorite title for himself, he's going to be betrayed, he's going to be um, killed, but on the third day he was going to rise again. And for us, we're like, oh, okay, uh-huh, uh-huh. but for a uh, person at that time, they're like, what are you talking about, Jesus? Like, I don't get that. Like, I don't understand what that is, right? And they didn't fully understand it, but so Jesus is on his way uh, back to Jerusalem, and while he's on their way, uh, the disciples are walking and talking, and two of his disciples, James and John, who are brothers, uh, and the Bible tells us that they're the sons of this man named Zebedee, uh, they're, uh, in, in Mark, it it just talks about them too, but in Matthew it says that they actually, this conversation was through their mother, right? So it's like, mom, go, go talk to Jesus. Go tell Jesus, right? And this is what happened, right? They, um, <clears throat> yeah, so uh, they go to Jesus and they say, Jesus, we want you to, we want you to, to do whatever we ask you. To, we, wanna, we want you to say yes to this petition that we're going to ask of you. And Jesus says, well, what do you, what do you want? We're like, what, what do you want, kid? What do you want, right? Uh, and uh, we actually, there's, this is part of the evidence of, of, of why we believe that James and John were so much younger uh, than some of the other disciples, uh, partly because their mom is speaking for them, right? Like, if your mom has to go, like, my wife is a teacher, is, a, is a doing her uh, PhD at uh, Rutgers, and she's an instructor for several classes, and one time, like, a mom, like, showed up to, like, wanted to have a meeting with her. She's like, no, <laughs> your child is an adult, like, uh-uh. So, but you can imagine the James and John like, Ma, go, you know, go ask Jesus, you know, whatever. Or maybe it was the mom's idea. I don't know. Who knows? Right? Uh, but they go to Jesus. They're like, we have this, we have this petition, right? We will grant that one of us could sit at your right hand and the other at your left hand. And they're not just, wor- they're not worried about like seating arrangement with like a wedding or something. What they're really asking for here is, is power and authority. They're saying, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, when, you're, when you rule all of this, and again, their mind is on uh, an earthly uh, kingdom right now. They're thinking that Jesus is going to overthrow the Roman oppression, right? They're thinking that this is going to be a revolt, that, you know, they're getting ready for some kind of epic battle, you know? And, uh, and they're like, Jesus, we want to sit at your right and your left hand. We want to be right up there with you. We want power and authority. We want to be your second and third in command, Right? And, uh, and Jesus looks at them and, and, and he says, you know, uh, can you drink of this cup that I am going to drink from? And essentially what Jesus is asking them is like, can you follow me in the life that I'm going to live? And they say yes, and Jesus says, you know what, you're right, you are going to follow that. And what Jesus was really referring to was uh, the, the way in which uh, the cup was often referred to uh, was the suffering that Jesus was going to have to go through, uh, which 
we also celebrate in the cup of uh, communion, right? That Christ paid the price for us, right? And, but the, this idea of the cup, right? So he says, so they say, yeah, we could do that. And Jesus says, yes, you will. And in fact, James uh, would die within a year of Jesus' death and resurrection. He was the first uh, of, the, of the 12 apostles who would be uh, martyred uh, for Christ. And, and John would be the last to die. But he would be tortured uh, throughout his life in many different ways. Like he was boiled in oil. Like it was just like, like, like just crazy, crazy things. And he didn't die from that, and then um, <clears throat> the Lord protected him over and over again, over again, and he eventually is uh, exiled to the island of Patmos, right, where he uh, uh, dies of old age, right, and that's where he receives revelation, and uh, anyways, so, um, yeah, it's like intense, right, you know, but, um, uh, but he's, but he says, but then Jesus is like, but the right and the, ha- the right and the left hands, those places, these places, positions, these high positions are, are, are really for who God has granted them to. It's not my place to give them away. Uh, and so then the other disciples hear that James and John had talked to Jesus, and, and they get indignant. And the Bible says they were, they were angry about this, right? And so then they start arguing amongst themselves, like, like I can't believe you went and talked to Jesus about this. Like, ah, nah, right? It, it, you know, anybody who's, like, part of the bachelor nation, like, you know, you like, the moment where, like, you got, like, this one dude and, like, 30 women, like, all trying to talk to him on one date, right? Or, or vice versa. And, uh, and the, there's always, like, that one woman who, like, or that one guy who, like, I'm going to go first, right? And, and, like, hey, can I talk to you? And then, like, steals the, you know, the person away. And then everyone else is just, like, I can't believe Hannah Bay just did that. Like, ah. Like, ah. And then they're all just angry, indignant, like, ah. It's really just jealousy in their hearts, right? And, and this is what's, this is what's coming out of the disciples, this jealousy, right? They're, like, I can't believe he just talked to Jesus about this. Like, I was gonna, you know, Peter's, like, I wanted to be the right hand, and, you know, and, and some, you know, and uh, someone else is, like, you know, I wanted to be the right hand, and they're all, like, and, and Bartholomew's, like, well, I'll just do whatever, you know, because no one ever talks about me, right? And, uh, and so they're all just kind of, like, bickering amongst themselves, and Jesus sees that his, his crew is imploding. He's, like, okay, I gotta handle this. Like, guys, like, Focus, right? And, uh, and he gets his disciples together and he says this. He says, you know uh, that, that uh, and he talks about the, you know that regarding the Gentile rulers and, and those over, over you, you know, they, they lord it over you, right? And there's this, the word lord it over you is this, this idea of a kind of dominion and like a negative sense of authority. Uh, and, and they're like, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over you, right? They have this, this kind of this uh, selfish authority that's really for the benefit of the ruler and not necessarily for their people, right? It's like, how do I benefit me? How do I gain power and then maintain that power? And, and uh, so, you know, it's like, how do I gain more and, and, and keep it, right? Um, and Jesus says this. And he changes the world on his head. He says, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must also be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man, he's talking about himself, even, even I, the Son of God, did not come to, serve, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is like flipping this on his head. In order for 
if you want to be great in my kingdom, if you want to be big, if you want to have high authority, if you want to be a place uh, 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 on the top of the pinnacle, then what you need to do is you need to humble yourself. And you need to go to the bottom and serve. You need to become, if you want to be first, you need to become a slave. And this, this word, um, serve, it's, it's the same word that's used for minister, um, in other places in the New Testament. And it's the idea of a person who would serve at the table, right? So this is a servant who would serve their master at the table, uh, uh, like serving them food and the dishes, kind of like a waiter, I guess, right? I remember when I graduated from seminar, uh, seminary, seminar, from seminary, uh, I, I graduated from seminary. You have a master's in, in transformational leadership, right? And um, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Butch. Appreciate that. And uh, I, uh, <clears throat> I was like, what are they going to give us? Are we going to get like a gift or something? This is going to be cool. Like, hey, we're going to graduate. They gave us a diploma. And I remember when you, um, when you walked on the platform or whatever, you'd have to kneel. And uh, some of the leaders and some of the, you know, the president of the university would, they would lay a mantle on your shoulder. And it wasn't, uh, and what it was was a small towel. And, uh, and it was a reminder of that moment when Jesus took off his clothes, wrapped a towel around his waist, and washed the feet of his disciples. And it's a reminder that us as ministers, our job is not to have authority over the church or to rule over a people or have dominion, but our, our purpose the purpose of, and, uh, of leadership and authority and of having power in Christ is to then humble ourselves and serve those that we are, uh, have been entrusted to us. And so uh, this is the calling that Jesus is, has laid down for his disciples. That if you want to be in a position of leadership, that if you want a position of power, it's, it's about letting go, humbling yourself, and serving others, and serving one another. Now, this is a hard sell. This is a hard sell, right? Because it's, the, and, and imagine the disciples thinking about this, right? Because the disciples weren't this powerful group of men. These were oppressed people, right? And so thinking about, right, when you tell that to an oppressed person, like, you're, if you want to be great, you got to be a humble servant. That's a hard pill to swallow, uh, and it might even be harder for us as free people uh, because our society values so much this, this sense of establish yourself, prove yourself, you know. And, and, and uh, you know, I tell my students there's two ways of being the tallest tree in the forest, right? You can grow or you can chop down other trees, right? And we do a lot of chopping down of other trees, right? And so uh, it's this idea that w- in order for us to, you like that, Rob? You like that? That was free. Uh, this idea of us having to uh, willingly relinquish our will and our power to serve uh, someone else. In uh, Philippians 2, Paul uh, kind of captures and understands this and then writes about it also. And in, uh, <clears throat> in describing Jesus, he's talking to the church and he's talking to uh, the leadership of the church, and he's saying, you know, if there's, and he, he goes through this list of benefits that we have in, in Christ. If you have all these benefits, right, if you, this encouragement and this fellowship and this tenderness and compassion and, and all these things, he says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition, and this is Philippians 2, uh, selfish ambition or vain conceit. 
But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. And then verse 4. Each of you should not look out, not look only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And this is what Jesus, and then he goes to explain what the attitude of Jesus was. He said this, who being in the nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. In other words, it wasn't that he was like, well, I'm God, so I'm going to just hold on to my power and like, and just lord it over people. No. But made himself nothing. Jesus made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Right? When we think about how hard it is to humble ourselves and how hard it is to submit to obedience, I wonder if we ever stop to really think about how hard this must have been for Jesus. How hard would it be for someone of great wealth and great power to humble themselves to serve another person? Right? It's, Jesus says it. It's harder. It's, it's easier to get a, a camel through the eye of a needle, right? But essentially, what he, imagine all that Jesus had to sacrifice and surrender to uh, bring to us life and the gift that he gave us. Not only did he humble himself and, and let go of all the world, wealth and treasure and possession that he had as God, but he, he then emptied himself to become a human being, to become a man so that he could serve and eventually give his life. He humbled himself even to death and death on a cross, which is not a great way to die. It's actually one of the worst ways to die, right? Uh, and this is, our, this is our plumb line. This is our parameter. This is what uh, uh, the leadership uh, of our church, what we are uh, hoping to, uh, to keep as our, as our guide for leading uh, in the church. And uh, hopefully as us, as believers, it should be our kind of our plumb line. Uh, if you think about like an airplane, tomorrow I'm leaving for Denver, right? So I'm thinking about airplanes. Uh, if you think about an airplane, if an airplane is heading in a direction, right, it will put a, you know, it'll have its coordinates and it'll have like kind of a, it'll have like a path, an imaginary line that it has to follow, right? If that airplane is off, even by one degree, we might think, oh, one degree, it's not that big of a deal, right? But imagine at one degree being off, and after a mile, how far off is it? And after two miles, how far off is it? And after 10 miles, 50 miles, 100 miles, 500 miles, how much more energy, uh, combustible, and uh, like, you know, time, does that plane have to, to correct itself to get back? And I feel like part of uh, what's happened in our world is uh, as l- so many leaders and even in the church, and I've, it's, it hurts me so much when I hear of the abuses that go on in the church. Uh, and it's not just, it, it's Catholic churches and it's Protestant churches and it's all denominations and it's non-denominational. There's so much hurt that happens because the leadership, when the leadership, even if small degree over time, starts to, to move from our calling to humble ourselves and serve, um, 
and serve others and put ourselves uh, in a place where we are serving one another and caring for those that we've uh, been that have been put under our uh, our care right and so uh, to combat abuse and to combat this uh, this um, use of power and authority in a negative and evil way uh, the church when as the church began uh, what they did in the early church was they established leadership and they created these elders uh, this group of people who were to be uh, shepherds and overseers of the church. And their role was to help guide the church and love the church and, and care for the church. And we see this over and over again uh, in Acts as Paul and uh, those who were traveling with Paul would go to a town. They would, they would, they would uh, preach in the synagogues and teach people, and people would come to faith, and they would create these communities, the church, these small churches all over all over the cities and all over the towns and all over the countries that they had been a part of, right? But then Paul would leave. And so they would build these small communities and then leave a group of people who were, uh, were called elders. And in the Bible, uh, in the New Testament, the word pastor only appears once, actually. Uh, but throughout the whole Bible, uh, the word elder appears 180 times. And so elder is the word that is used more often as kind of the, the church leadership for uh, 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 in the Bible. And in the New Testament, it was two different words that were used for elders. Uh, and one was, uh, is translated to elder, and the other one is, is translated to overseer. And these were the people who were left in charge to serve uh, the community, to help the communities stay on task. They were charged with keeping the plane uh, on point where it needed to be. And uh, uh, it was a body of elders, right? And, and, and Peter even adopted this. And I want to read Peter, First uh, Peter 5, uh, verses 2 to, uh, 2 to 4. And these are the, this, is Paul, this is Peter speaking to the elders uh, who were overseeing the church, uh, the different churches that this letter was passed to. He, he says, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, Serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be. Not greedy for money, but eager to serve. There's that word again. To minister, to care for the idea of someone else sitting at the table and you bringing them what they need and, and bringing them their food and bringing them their nourishment and helping them to be able to eat right? That idea of a servant, not lording it over them, not lording over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. And so there, the, a couple of things from that passage. One is that, that the leadership is called to be shepherds, right? And if you think about uh, shepherds, it's not just, it's not just one flock, but that, sorry, it's not just one shepherd, but that one shepherd is Jesus, and he has entrusted his sheep to many shepherds who are then guiding and caring for these sheep, right? Uh, and again, it's, you, Peter uses very similar wording to Jesus, what Jesus had talked about with his disciples, because Peter was there, and it, it infiltrated his body and his mind and his 
character and who he was and how he would lead and how he would lead in the church. And so Peter is, is charging and, and calling out to the elders and the leadership of the church to saying, hey, reminder that it's our job is to serve, that our job is not to lord it over. Again, we're not called to have dominion over people. We're not called to just have this authority over people, just do what I say because I say it, but we are called to lay down our will, lay down ourselves to love and care for those that have been entrusted to us. Not greedy for money and power and, and, and position, but giving away and sharing and loving and caring. And that is not easy. But we have to remember that, it's, that, that this isn't our flock. Right? And, and the leadership of our church, we, we work really hard to remember that we are only shepherds of Christ flock, that this is Christ's family, that every single person in this room, you are beloved by Jesus. Imagine if someone were to treat my son badly, Papa Bear's coming out. I don't know how that would look, because I'm like such a not, I don't know, we'll, we'll go there, but anyways, don't, don't test it, let's just not try it, right? I, uh, actually, something that I've uh, struggled with, right, as being a dad is this kind of, uh, like, I just want to beat people up all the time, actually, right? I imagine people, like, doing terrible things to, to my wife or my son, and it's, it's partly because of the imbalance, and I've talked to my counselor about this, and we're working through it, okay? Right? But, like, I imagine, like, people all of a sudden are just, like, super rude and evil and, like, like shove my baby or, like, kick the stroller. Like, who does that? No one does that, right? But I imagine it, and then I just want to, like, we get into big fights, and then I get arrested, and I don't know. It's, like, a thing. Um, this happens in my brain all the time. My brain is, like, you know, anyways. Imagine what that must look like for God to look at those who have abused power over his children. The Bible says that, that revenge is mine, says the Lord, I will repay, right? There is a place where justice is going to happen. There is a moment when justice will be served to those who have abused power. And it may not be in this world and it may not be in this lifetime, right? And so there's this, it's this reminder that we are not, that we've, that the leadership uh, of the church has been entrusted with a care to love and to care and to honor and to serve uh, those that are in us, in, in our community, because you belong to Christ. And so you are honored above all. And we need to honor that and serve you in that way. And so uh, Peter kind of adopts and understands all those teachings that Jesus had shared with him, right? And so us in... Uh, everyday church, and how does that translate to us and our leadership? Um, and so, in our church, we don't have uh, an elder board, uh, and, and calling it an elder board is like the first mistake, right? Uh, we don't have a body of elders, but we have a body of uh, a management team, uh, and our hope has been to uh, be able to uh, adopt the same attitude that Christ has had. In serving and adopt this understanding of uh, of leadership as a role and a responsibility, not to uh, not to lord it over those that we serve, but to care for, 
to love and to serve uh, each of you. And so uh, our church, uh, and, and, and Wendy talked about, well, well, we'll get there in a sec, right? So um, what we have is what, what we have is, is a shared power dynamic. And so there's this idea that instead of uh, one person being kind of the centralized leadership, uh, we have a shared uh, a shared power kind of dynamic, and and just so you know, Larry and and, and Wendy are co pastors. Uh, they are both they both share that responsibility um, equally, and it's this beautiful dynamic. If you get to spend time watching them in in leadership together, it's really really cool to see. And that's that for me. That's really new, right? Because it, for me, growing up. It's always been there was a man, and he was the central leader, and everything else kind of trickled from him. Uh, and the elders were viewed uh, not as this co-leading community, uh, but it was almost like they were the Congress, and the pastor was the president, and they were had to, like, veto each other, and always are fighting for power, right? Uh, and this dynamic... Right, because we model instead of the instead of Christ, instead of Scripture, we model our community around us, and so those political dynamics they exist even in the Church of Christ, uh, and so we've worked, we've tried really, really hard to uh, have this shared power, this team, uh, and where that what that looks like it's it's beautiful because there's there's uh wisdom in the counsel of many as proverbs says uh there's diverse perspectives as we hear from different people so it's not just one person's view right because one person is going to miss so much right uh and uh what i love is that there's uh in that diversity there's there's men and women serving side by side and if we look at Scripture, uh, Galatians uh, 3.28, it says, uh, There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And so in Christ, there is this union of male and female, slave or free, Greek or Jew. Now we are in Christ, and all of us are one in Christ, right? And so there is this beautiful dance that God invites us to be a part of. Uh, and um, so the way that this works for our management team, one of, the, one of the key elements of this is something called mutual submission. Now, that sounds like an MMA uh, like, like, uh, fighting position or something, right? Like, they, oh, the battle ended at TKO. It was mutual submission, right? There was a tie. They both knocked each other out, right? You know, um... But uh, mutual submission, and, and uh, let me be careful because I, I, I make jokes, but this word submission and submit is a trigger word. It can be really, I have to be, like, it can be really uh, painful and difficult for, for many people. Be- and, and I've seen a lot of, like, the ladies, like, mm-hmm, right? Because of abuse, right? Because we have abused it. Right? And that's where the danger is, and that's where the hardship lies. Right? Because we have taken uh, the things of God and we've, and the churches and Christians and, and, and our world and our society has, has abused that. And so, again, what we're trying to do is bring ourselves back to uh, what Christ has established and bring ourselves back to, uh, to that space. Uh, and so, 
I want to talk about what this looks like for a, a mutual submission, right? And the, the, the definition of submission is the action or fact of accepting or yielding to superior force or to the will and authority of another person. And so often it's viewed in a very negative way, right? Submission is kind of like uh, you're, you're surrendering in a way of yourself to uh, this superior force or another person's will. And uh, we fight against that tooth and nail, right? Because it's ingrained in our very nature to struggle and strive for independence. And this is at the heart of, uh, uh, of both of the beauty of humanity, but also the, our deep brokenness because we strive for independence from God. And so our, uh, at the core of sin is this, is this, I'm pushing back against surrendering and yielding myself to God uh, and asserting my own independence in my own self. And so a big part of that is coming back to that place. And a key part of that is trusting and understanding who God is and his goodness and that God is good and faithful and trustworthy because of all how convoluted our lives can become, it becomes very hard to do that oftentimes because there's the equation of uh, of uh, merging a view of God into our earthly fathers and whatever relationship that could look like. Or um, we, God is, you know, uh, well, whatever. <laughs> I got to work on a better, like, trans, like, let's just start all over again, right? Um, <laughs> it's just like, whatever. Mom, if you're hearing this, I'm going to get better. My mom called me this week. It was, sorry, 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 I'm distracted. But surrender is such a key part of our faith and such a key part of our leadership dynamic uh, because uh, that is a big part of what we're called to do. And if you look at Jesus, if you look at his life, if you look at how he lived, he lived a life of surrender unto God. Uh, and, even, and even Jesus struggled with this. Like even Jesus had to check himself before he wrecked himself. There was, if you look at the moment of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? Understanding what he had to go through. Understanding what was in front of him. Jesus asked, Lord, God, if there's any possibility, if there's any way that this cup can pass over me. And then Jesus remembers who he is and remembers his purpose and remembers the goodness of God and says, not my will, but yours be done. And he surrenders himself to the will of his Father, to, to, to God. And, and, and we, and in Christ's prayer, what he modeled for us is also in that, um, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, right? Is the reminder to surrender ourselves. Now, the conscious here is, I am not, I'm not speaking to the, the congregation, the church, and telling you, you need to surrender to us, but on the contrary, I am saying that us as leaders, that the leadership, we need to surrender to you in a way that we have surrendered to Christ, our will, to, and, and to each other to then serve you in our church. And that's not easy. That's hard, right? Uh, but that's what's, what, 
God calls us to do. Ephesians 5.21 says this, submit one to another. It's this mutual submission, right, so that it's not just one key person, one centralized uh, power, but it is this uh, team effort where together we are lifting each other up, submitting to each other, following each other, and caring for one another. And the beauty of that is that initiative can come from multiple sources, right? That wisdom, there's wisdom in this, where, whereas there's different perspective we can understand and see and lead in a, in a more uh, Christ-centered, holistic kind of way because instead of it being one person, follow me, I'm going to do this my way, it's there's prayerful consideration. There's talking things over. And so our management team, and I'm the newest member of the management team, which is, so I get the joy of sharing this, right? Is, uh, and the beauty of that is that in, it doesn't look like a boardroom where we're trying to, the bottom line, you know, and, and trying to enforce a certain will, but it is this this beautiful dance, this beautiful conversation where we're not wearing shoes and we're sitting on a couch and we're just sharing a meal together and talking and praying and caring for one another as we pray, uh, as we care for each of you and as we uh, try to model that, uh, that life. And um, so... Uh, Pastor and uh, speaker and author David Fitch uh, says this. Sorry, I lost the beginning of the quote. Thousands of papers up here. He said this, the answer that we discovered, and he's, and he's speaking about uh, their el- body of elders who, uh, who also uh, have this mutual submission. Uh, the answer we discovered was Trust. Submitting ourselves to each other in love and in vulnerability. Through the discipline of mutual submission, we found ourselves becoming the kinds of people who are increasingly trusted, who increasingly trusted the Holy Spirit and each other. And so the, at the core of, all, of this is we want you to know, church, is that uh, the leadership of our church is not this centralized leader. We're not all just following Larry or Wendy. We're, there is this body of believers who love each other deeply, who are prayerfully uh, considering things and caring for one another. As we submit to one another, as we submit, most importantly, to the Holy Spirit, to be able to love and care for the church that God has put, uh, put uh, in our care. Uh, and, and so this value that we share in our church uh, for team, right? The church, we value team. We value re- people coming together and using their gifts, using your abilities, caring uh, for one another in that way, right? We value that so much that even at the highest level of leadership, we desire for there to be shared power and shared team so that we can model uh, Christ in everything that we do so that we can care for the congregation, care for the church in every way possible, and so that we can uh, stave off the dangers of, uh, of, of power and the corruption that comes with that uh, as we then are examples uh, in our leadership of Christ. And that's our hope, is our hope is that the leadership of the church can model Christ in everything that we do so that you and the congregation, so that you know that you are in a place where you are safe, where you are loved deeply, where you are cared for, where you are heard, and where you are able to uh, connect to the Holy Spirit 
in a body uh, of believers uh, that will love you and accept you and, uh, and pray for you and, and that we can model Christ together. And that is our hope. That is, our, uh, that is our, what drives the leadership uh, of, of our church. Um, um, and hopefully that uh, permeates through all levels uh, of our church. Uh, and not just the management team, but also the leadership team and the, and the teaching team uh, and the serving teams and the children's ministry teams and the worship team and the uh, translation team, uh, Army of One, right? And, and all the other teams and everything that we would do, that we would do it in a way that, that models this view of shared power, of, of teamwork, of uh, of service, the service that we saw uh, model for us through uh, Christ. To Jesus, uh, power was not something to be grasped, but it was to be used in the service of others and the leadership of ECC. We strive to submit to Christ and we strive to submit to each other in order to follow Christ's leadership style. In the culture that we build here in the church, uh, in the culture that we model and in the culture that we maintain, uh, and so that we can all thrive together. Uh, we need to serve each other humbly and faithfully administering the grace that God has given to us. And that is our hope and that is our prayer so that our church can thrive. And when I say thrive, I don't mean so that we have like a thousand people in this room, right? But so that every person, so that you know that you're deeply loved and cared for and trust that the people that God has put in leadership are here and love you and want to know you and help you and walk with you, faithfully administering uh, this small uh, body of Christ, this small community, this, this space where you are a part of uh, and we are a part of as we follow Jesus together. Uh, so let me pray for us.